electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, possibly game-changing news from Gilead on a COVID drug trial for remdesivir. It's not going to be a home run. It's not going to be a cure, but it is going to be a drug potentially. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb on today's positive signs and the long road still ahead. It's definitely well into 2021 in terms of having a vaccine available in the hundreds of millions of doses that you would need to mass inoculate a population. Plus, feeling too close to your fridge, a lot of Americans, including Joe Kernan are with you, the CEO of WW, formerly known as Weight Watchers on managing wellness and business during quarantine. We are definitely seeing a shift right now, and we believe that coming out of this, health and wellness is not going to be a luxury. It's going to be a necessity. It's Wednesday, April 29th, 2020. Squawk Pie begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up on today's podcast, an update on the coronavirus pandemic and the race for a vaccine. COVID-19 cases in the U.S. have now topped 1 million. And with each new diagnosis, the urgency for drug development increases. We were joined on Squawk Box early this morning by Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and board member at Pfizer and Illumina. This turned out to be the first of two conversations we had with Scott today. I think in terms of having a vaccine available at scale, you know, I don't know the exact manufacturing timeline for these different companies, but it's definitely well into 2021 in terms of having a vaccine available in the hundreds in the hundreds of millions of doses that you would need to mass inoculate a population. China is actually the furthest ahead in terms of clinical development. They're in phase two or phase three studies. But I think it's well into 2021 until anyone is going to have a vaccine available in the kinds of quantities that would be required to inoculate the entire United States or the entire European continent or other countries, low and middle income countries. So we are a ways off in terms of having a vaccine available at scale, at that kind of scale. But, uh, but in doses of millions, it could be available much sooner than that. Late in our TV broadcast this morning, the Squawk Box team got breaking news about a possible COVID drug treatment we've mentioned a lot on this podcast, remdesivir. Two positive headlines about Gilead's antiviral drug in clinical trial came out today, one from the company itself and one from the National Institute of Health's Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, which is run by Dr. Anthony Fauci. A brief news alert that NIAID's clinical trial of remdesivir, quote, met its main goal, was where we started today, and we ended with news in more detail from Gilead itself on encouraging trial results from patients hospitalized for COVID-19 and given the drug in five and 10-day treatments. Now, this is what that all sounded like in pretty close to real time. Here's Becky. So the remdesivir drug had been treatment for COVID-19. Remember, this has been all over the map. You had heard the positive things coming out of that University of Chicago study. Then a couple days later, we heard from the World Health Organization saying China was ending that study. But remember, there weren't enough patients left in China to still continue this. So this is the NIAD story that looked like that study showed that there was some positive news using remdesivir for the treatment of COVID-19. They say they understand the trial has met its primary endpoint and that they will provide detailed information at an upcoming briefing. This is Um, the one that... Remdesivir, 
This is the one that Meg was talking about as well, that we were waiting for this. We knew it was going to come this week. There's no control group, I think Meg pointed out. So it's not going to be perfect. But after the China news put a damper on that stat report that that came out about those 123 patients that that, that had much better, very uh, few mortalities, that came out. Then the China study came out. Uh, as you pointed out, it wasn't it was it was ended not because it wasn't working necessarily. It was ended because it didn't and have enough patients left. And, you know, this is still we don't know that this, much, this although meeting a primary this endpoint. Trial, yeah. Meeting a primary endpoint is pretty that's a, that's significant. That's a big deal. Yeah. Meeting a primary endpoint. And that is, again, for the NIAID study. Remdesivir, or Gilead's been running a second study, its own study, uh, for a shorter five-day duration of therapy because the the one that we're talking about today from the government, that one is a 10-day study treatment course that was evaluated in trial. But Gilead has its own data that's going to be coming out for the five- and 10-day dosing durations of remdesivir in patients, and that's going to be coming later in May. So we'll be hearing more about that then, too. We have asked Dr. Scott Gottlieb about this a lot. He has pointed out that there's reason to believe that it could be effective. With Ebola, it was somewhat effective, but not as effective as antibody drugs for Ebola. But Dr. Gottlieb pointed out it it inhibits viral replication, and it was being used on very sick patients. The very sick patients are sick because of the autoimmune response in their lungs. So you would need to use something like this, presumably, before the, the virus had actually taken hold, where you're, where you're hurting viral right. replication. And that's been the thing. You've so, got to use it right, earlier. To use it early. Um, so it might not be expected right. to be quite as, uh, as Joe, positive with very sick patients. Joe, the, Joe the, the complicated part, though, about this remdesivir drug is if, in fact, and we need to watch for this, if, in fact, it needs to be used early, as you know, this is intravenous. This isn't, a, isn't in a pill form, at least not yet. And so if the whole idea of its success is about its early uh, its early use, that becomes more complicated again. Back to this issue of we, we want a drug that will give people confidence if you need to take it within uh, you know, the first 24 hours or 48 hours of getting it. That becomes more complicated because most people you don't even know you have off. it. You don't even know we, you have it. Anyway, let's get to Meg Terrell uh, on this Gilead News. Meg, um, just take it away. Well, hi, Joe. This is not the the information we were expecting from Gilead this morning. What we were expecting was for Gilead to read out its own trial results in severe patients with COVID-19. And in fact, um, this may actually be better news because the NIH trial is the one that's considered the gold standard because it was double blind and placebo controlled, whereas Gilead's severe trial was not placebo controlled. And so what they're saying is that they're aware of positive data emerging from that NIH study of remdesivir. Uh, they realize, they understand that the trials met its primary endpoint and, and NIH will provide detailed information at an upcoming briefing. And they're going to have their own data, uh, they say, shortly. Um, and that'll inform whether the correct dose would be five days or 10 days, um, which would dramatically impact how much supply of this medicine could be available. If it's a five-day course, you have twice as much of the drug to be able to give to patients. So the fact that the NIH study met its primary goal is is very good news um, because that is the gold standard study, guys. So we're going to wait to hear more about when this briefing uh, from the NIH comes. Um, but, but a good update and, and not what we were expecting to hear from Gilead. And we should get more data in just the next day or two from Gilead itself, guys. All right. Joining us on the Squawk Newsline, Dr. Scott uh, Gottlieb. So, uh, Doctor, just with what you've seen, and I'm sure you've been able to read the the release itself, how could this actually change someone's uh, outcome 
that has COVID-19 right now. When could that happen? Does it need to be used early before you even know you have it? You've called it effective, but you didn't you've never really thought it was going to be the home run drug that was going to help us out of this mess. Right. And I'm still in the same place. I think that this is a uh, antiviral that's probably a first generation antiviral that's active against the the disease based on what we've seen so far. Um, But it's not going to be a home run. It's not going to be a cure, but it is going to be a drug potentially that if you use it uh, particularly early in the course of the disease, so you hang it in the emergency room when someone comes in with COVID, especially someone who has risk factors that might predict that they're going to have a worse outcome from the the disease, it could reduce their chances of having a really bad outcome. And that's typically what we've seen with some other antivirals, um, how they've been used, including oseltamivir and Tamiflu, where we use it in the emergency room when people come in with the flu, and we hang it right away for people who might be uh, at risk of a worse outcome. I think remdesivir can be used in a similar fashion. And so far, all the data we've seen accrue does suggest that there's a treatment effect here. The treatment effect isn't robust, um, but it is active against the the disease based on what we've seen. It's certainly suggestive that in this data, what we've seen today, or at least the announcement, um, is another data point that continues to move the story, I think, in the same direction. Will you get more uh, clarity when Gilead releases results from its own trials? That's certainly true. There's, so there's three studies underway. Um, there's the NIAID study. That trial met its uh, primary endpoint. There's going to be more later today um, from, uh, I think, believe, I believe Dr. Fauci at a press conference. There is also, and I'm getting this right now, um, there's also um, data that's going to come out from the open label studies that Gilead's been conducting. Now, those are non-randomized studies, right. Look, but Scott, they're large I'm studies. I'm sorry. I think maybe we have more news on, on this. Meg, do you, you have a, a different study or just more analysis of this one? No, Joe, I have exactly what Dr. Gottlieb was just referring to, and I assume he was just reading the press release as I was just reading it, because Gilead just put out its own study results. So that was the one we were expecting today. This is in severe patients with COVID-19, and as Dr. Gottlieb mentioned, it was an open-label study, and it was not placebo-controlled. So the data are difficult to draw obvious conclusions from, but the top line is that the five-day and 10-day dosing regimens appeared similar in the study, and Gilead says it's a complement to the NIAID study um, that it said met its primary goal, and that one was placebo-controlled. So the NIH results are the ones that are going to really tell us how well this drug worked, but what Gilead is saying here is that those two dosing groups, those regimens, um, did appear similar, and so that could increase the supply of the drug. Uh, They are also saying in the release here that um, earlier treatment did appear to be better for patients. They say uh, patients who received remdesivir within 10 days of symptom onset had improved outcomes compared with those who received it after 10 days. Um, They say pooling data across the treatment arms by day 14, 62% of patients treated early were able to be discharged from the hospital compared with 49% of patients who were treated late. Of course, because this is not placebo-controlled, we don't know if those patients would have just gotten better by themselves and if the impact of earlier treatment could have been influenced by other things. So that's why the NIAID results are going to be so critical to hear later today, guys. There's one one added piece here, and I'm getting this right now, so um, it's coming across to me. But I think that there's going to be a press conference later today with Tony Fauci where they're going to talk about the NIAID results. So it's possible that if that trial really does show a trend towards um, a positive outcome here, uh, FDA could authorize this under an emergency use authorization or under an accelerated approval fairly quickly. Um, But I would expect them to have a press conference that will provide more information later today. 
Meg, you had said earlier, the good news is if the five-day treatment is just as effective as the 10-day treatment, that that means twice as much of this drug to go around. But Meg, do you or Dr. Gottlieb, either of you know what kind of supplies we have for remdesivir? What kind of numbers you could be seeing? How quickly things could ramp up in, in order to get more of the drug made? Yes. Uh, so Gilead has put out what the supply uh, it expects to be able to make is. Uh, by May, they expect to be able to supply 140,000 doses of the medicine, but that's at the 10-day regimen. So if they can cut that to a five-day regimen for a lot of patients, that will significantly increase that supply. But that's not a huge amount of drug. The company is looking at reformulating it into a potentially orally deliverable drug, so into a pill or into an inhalable drug, but that's not a slow process. I'm sure Dr. Gottlieb will have more insights on that and on the potential supply and ways to increase that quickly than I would. So what do you mean? How long would that, is that difficult to do, an oral formulation, doctor? An oral formulation would be difficult here because of the the complexities in manufacturing this product. I think that there is some speculation that you can develop a nebulized and inhaled formulation of this drug that could potentially be efficacious as well. But um, right now the issue is just going to be ramping supply. Gilead's been working with a lot of contract manufacturing organizations to try to increase supply, but it's a long manufacturing process. It's a complex drug to manufacture, so we are going to be supply constrained. I do think you're going to see more information coming very shortly from federal agencies and from the company talking about these results today and then talking about the process going forward and how this drug could be made available more broadly, either under an accelerated approval or more likely under an emergency use authorization, which would allow commercial distribution of the drug to make, make sure more people can get access to it in the setting of the current epidemic. Scott, where, where is remdesivir manufactured? Um, well, I don't know for sure is <laughs> the short answer, but it's manufactured at multiple contract manufacturers right now. I know that the company's been working with a lot of different manufacturers, and so there's not a single location where it's, being, it's all being manufactured. Gilead says here in its um, release about supply that it is increasing capacity with partners in North America, Europe, and Asia. And I think that probably gets to your question about the importance of where things are made uh, to be able to supply right. those markets. Well, Dr. Yeah, Gottlieb, some... you had that op-ed in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week raising concerns about even if a, a cure or a vaccine is, is developed, it, not having it manufactured here might mean that Americans don't get it first. Yeah, I don't think that the entire manufacturing process is totally within the United States right now. There might be components of of, of it, or there might be some supply that you can do totally within the U.S., but I think aspects of the supply chain for this drug come from other parts of the world, to your point, Becky. So, you know, that's why Gilead has worked globally to try to make this drug available, particularly in China, where I think some of the supply chain originates. But um, the company's been working, and the United States government, I, I think, has been working to try to domesticate more of the manufacturing, increase supply here. It's a complex drug to manufacture. Um, so, you know, it's, in some ways, it's not an optimized drug. It's, it can't be formulated into an oral agent very easily. It's complex to manufacture. It needs to be delivered in intravenously. It does have side effects associated with it. So it's not a perfect drug. What it is is it's a drug that was on the shelf. It's a first-generation antiviral against coronavirus that can be effective for a certain number of patients. This is not a a home run, a a cure by any means, but I think that this can be very effective in the context of better treatment for patients, a better understanding of how to treat these patients, and hopefully other drugs are going to come onto the market in the fall. This is part of the better toolbox we've been talking about, better testing and better treatment. Doctor, we, we talk about the timeline with you all the time and the ability to try to give confidence to Americans and, frankly, those all over the world to go back, uh, go back to work, to go back to some sense of normalcy. And we've talked about a possible vaccine uh, bringing that kind of sense of normalcy. How does this change the dynamic? I Meaning, do you think that this drug, based on what you know, 
will create the kind of confidence um, and when that people would say to themselves, you know what, I'm, maybe I'm willing to go out, go out and do what I'm going to do. And if I get this, uh, I'll have the confidence to know that I can take this drug and, and things might be OK. Is that is. Yeah, well, look, I'm way? in the same place. I'm in the same place I've been when we've had this discussion many times, which is this drug coupled with the therapeutic antibodies that are under development by Regeneron, Veer Biotechnology, Amgen, and Lilly, coupled with, with much better testing that we're going to have, the ability to test millions of people a week heading into the fall, I think that that could be a robust toolbox that could mitigate the risk and help, help reduce the fear that if you get this, that, th- that it's a race to the bottom, that there's nothing there to help you. We're also le- learning how to treat patients with COVID much more effectively in the hospital. We're learning what interventions to do and not do. So I think all of this is going to put us in a much different posture for the fall. This is a part of that toolbox we've talked about that could reduce the risk in the fall and allow us to get back to some semblance of our normal lives, even with COVID circulating in the background. Dr. Gottlieb, Meg, want to thank you all, uh, especially uh, Dr. Gottlieb and Meg for getting on so quickly with that breaking news. Next on Squawk Pod, staying safe and staying well, maybe with a little help. I got to do something. I dragged out the Peloton. I had to take all the clothes off of it that were hanging on it. The CEO of WW on keeping her business and our bodies healthy after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. We are in the thick of earnings season with public companies across all sectors reporting their financial results from the first quarter of 2020. To survive through COVID-19, most of these companies, and in fact, most American businesses still operating today, have had to reposition themselves to deliver to customers and shareholders during this pandemic. One of those companies, WW, formerly known as Weight Watchers. Social media is flooded with cooking, snacking, and drinking videos. And many of us are spending 24 hours a day socially distanced from everyone and everything except our own refrigerators. Now, for those of us fortunate to have enough food during this pandemic, that could prompt a search for help from a wellness company like WW. In the last quarter, the company saw a 9% uptick in new memberships compared with its first quarter of 2019, and I'm guessing it has something to do with those nearby fridges. Here's Joe Kernan kicking it off with WW CEO Mindy Grossman. After this uh, quarantine, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly thinking about Weight Watchers or some, somewhere else, uh, Mindy, to, to, uh, to help with things, because it's definitely getting out of hand. Uh, hi, Joe. First of all, hope you're well. Thank you. I am. Too well, maybe, uh, in terms of uh, appetite and everything else. Exactly. Maybe it's the wine. Well, here's what we're seeing. To your point, we ended the quarter with 5 million subscribers, an all-time high. Um, and it was fueled by the launch of our new food program, uh, MyWW, as well as the incredible aura around the WW Presents Oprah's 2020 Vision Tour. We then saw some demand fall off, particularly made, made the decision very early on to close our studios to ensure the safety and security of all our members. 
but the team pivoted and I have to give kudos to our teams around the world. And in six days, we trained 14,000 coaches and simultaneously in one day, we launched virtual workshops. And in the first week alone, we had 12,500 workshops live. And what we've been able to do because of that is see behavior in real time between our virtual workshops and our 5 million members who are on Connect, which is our platform, we have actually seen and we can identify day by day what people are communicating, what they're talking about, um, what, what our new members are saying and why they're joining. And we are definitely seeing a shift right now. And we believe that coming out of this, Health and wellness is not going to be a luxury. It's going to be a necessity. And people are really reappraising their lives and what they choose to spend and what they choose to do. And given this uh, crisis, people are more aware than ever of what they have to do for themselves to be healthy. And that's what we're seeing and that's what we're hearing. Um, what this has also allowed us to do is accelerate our efforts for our digital transformation. So not only have we seen the response to our virtual workshops, but we had already planned and we had talked about it over the last um, two quarters, the launch of digital plus virtual group coaching that we'll be launching later this year. So as we look to what we're going to do with our studio footprints and when we're going to open, and we would be very, very um, judicious in what we do to ensure safety and security, um, we will be able now to have a new vertical, give all our members our digital assets, which we've reinvested in. We have new assets launching. For example, we have sleep launching within the next week, sleep tracking. Uh, we've been elevating our content around things like stress, uh, and we've also added a lot more fitness. So we really are seeing uh, in real time how people are feeling and what they're doing. But how much of your business were you planning to be face-to-face -face, uh, workshops? And, and now you're still going to do that, obviously, with safety, but it's got to be a much different model in terms of of transitioning or, or trying to grow that that type of business. It's going to be all virtual now. Yeah, well, we, we've moved very much to digital. So of our members, about 25% uh, also choose to have the workshop experience. That is the group that we've transitioned to virtual right now. Um, we have 97% uh, satisfaction scores. Uh, not only do they have the virtual workshops, they have their own private groups and connect to keep community together. And what we're seeing right now, the importance of community, motivation, uh, and people coming together is more important than ever. Now, we are never going to not have and embrace a face-to-face -face experience, but I do think con consumer behavior is changing, and we will look at our studio footprint uh, to determine what is the right balance going forward, especially with the new launch of the virtual group coaching vertical. Mindy, uh, interesting to, uh, the way everyone has to think about things so differently uh, right now, but it seems like you're in a good position. 
uh, to transition to the new world, uh, I would expect 9% more subscribers to be at the low end of things uh, if we ever do. I get back to normal. I got to do something. I, I, uh, I, I dragged out the Peloton. I had to take all the clothes off of it that were hanging on it uh, and everything else and move it back to where I could actually get on it. But uh, thank you. We, we appreciate it yeah, uh, today. Thank good, you. And good luck. And pe- uh, with- people are going to need uh, to get healthy more than ever. Right, I agree. And thank you. Coming up, will we ever be ready for takeoff? If you had to be, if you wanted to go to Florida right now, I, I mean, maybe, how do you go? What do you do? But that's the thing. Need to or want to. Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan on a headline about something that harkens to pre-COVID times, private jet travel. General Dynamics is taking a hit in pre-market trading. Earnings and revenue falling short. Profit fell more than 5% uh, as the pandemic delayed deliveries of its Gulfstream business jets, which you would think might get more play at this point. When you think, Sorkin, like to be long Gulfstream with... uh, and no one's going to, if CEOs and, and, and important people need to travel, no one, no shareholders at this point is going to say, why do you need the fat cat travel at this point, right? If you got to go, I don't know. Well, go I don't know. That, that's if not true. Get, it depends on what industry know. you're in. If you're laying off employees, you better not be uh, saying, I, I, I I'm laying off employees and I'm going to be taking the private I jet. Always, that's that, a, a tougher thing to pull off them, in this environment. I always believed them, you know, long before this, that if they got places to go all around the middle of the country that aren't readily accessible by, uh, you know, by major airports and they need to go to these places to, for whatever reason, uh, that it makes more sense than the delays. And, you know, for a CEO's time, it makes more sense to, to at least lease one. If you had to be, if you wanted to go to Florida right now, I, I mean, maybe, how do you go? What do you do? But that's You're- the thing, need to or want to. It's the, you better make sure that it's for an actual real business reason and not something that you're kind of building into your private time. Right. Because I do think we are underestimating the outrage that is going to come. Right. So at this point, You'd like to do it that way, but the economy may not allow people to make that choice anyway. So many, and right. the optics is probably not great. And, and business either. travel is going. It, look, we are finding ways to do everything on the internet remotely. There's fewer Without and fewer it, reasons right. that you can cite to say that I absolutely have to travel for. Um, particularly right. when you're telling their, your employees that they can't travel, that they can't come into the office, that we have to be careful about all of these things. You better have a really good reason as to why you're traveling and, and be able to back it up and say, this is urgent for me to get to these places to do it. If that's the case, fine. Right. If not, good luck selling it. You know, we heard yesterday from, from 
Orin, the, the uh, Douglas Elliman, the biggest producer there, about how, you know, the truly wealthy pe- the people see it on their, their statements, but it, it's hard to affect the way that they, that they live. And I can't imagine that, that they're not going to use Gulfstream. You know, that, that the people that are able to use Gulfstreams in the first place are probably going to use them more. But point. that's the question. It's the people who are able to use oh, them is probably people. a declining number of people, too. Right. right. It's a declining number of people. There, there are going to be some people who are going to be doing that. But my guess would the, be the, not the, as many people as you would have had six months ago. Zero 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 one percent are not declining from this, I don't think. They're moving into even more expensive bunker. You've seen those stories on the websites about where Yeah, but they're moving into bunkers and they're not leaving them, so they're not flying right well, now. Well, when they do leave, they're not going to fly. They're not going to fly on, on a commercial flight. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest analysis and news from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.